Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this week's version of the Thursday Talk. My name is Tracy Olston, and Dr. Charles Henley is joining me for today's important conversation. So with the implementation of the 2023 guidelines, there's a couple of new terms that providers may or may not know a whole lot about. So I wanted to kind of have this conversation with Dr. Hundley today about these four unique narratives that providers are starting to see in the 2023 medical decision-making grid. So thank you, Dr. Hundley, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us this morning. No, actually, Tracy, this is very interesting because um, documentation, you know, as you know, as I think every physician out there uh, is getting busier. I mean, we actually have thought that COVID was the busiest, but it seems like the acute illnesses out there are extremely um, are extremely popular, are getting more and more uh, popular, and, and physicians are busier. And so our documentation, we don't actually even realize that terms change. And so this is actually very important for myself and highlighting those physicians who need to know about terms. So go ahead and talk to me a little bit about what do you mean by term use of terms and difference than last year to this year? Okay, so what is happening with um, kind of the guidelines rolling out for 2023 is they are replacing the 1995 and 1997 guidelines, which have been, you know, the four HPI elements, 10 review of systems, three past family social history, eight physical exam elements. Those requirements are going out the door. So now providers just have to document a medically appropriate physical exam and medically appropriate medical history. And then really what is leveling your notes is your medical decision making. And so there's two areas of terminology that, that providers need to be aware of. The first section, the uh, diagnosis codes, that really hasn't changed a whole lot from the 1995 guidelines, what providers did in the past versus what we're moving forward to. But where we're seeing the bulk of the changes with the medical decision-making grid is in your data elements and your analytics, and then as well as the overall risk of the patient. So there's two terms that really fall in line under that data category. The first one is unique test. And this is really interesting to note because CPT is actually defining a unique test as a test identified by the CPT code set. So what that means, Dr. Hunley, is, is if I am ordering a CBC, I have a particular CPT code that lines up for that CBC. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a full-fledged lab panel, like a comprehensive metabolic panel, there's one CPT code that encompasses a whole bunch of different labs. So you can't break those out and count those individually because there is a CPT code that bundles everything together. So, so I know that you and I've worked with lab companies and that diagnosis have to fit their labs. Uh, what I'm hearing you say, and I'm hopefully saying it right, is that if I have a diagnosis of something and there are specific labs that go with that diagnosis, with that CPT code. Uh, and that is built into this 2023 guideline, or am I saying that wrong? 
So, so I think you're getting confused because okay. the data section of the medical decision-making grid is where you get credit for your thought process. Like what are you having to do around the care of the patient to make sure that you can come up with a definitive diagnosis and that you can so, treat the patient? So that's really, and you're right, this is confusing for physicians. I'm going to, I'm going to actually take, you know, so a lot of our efficiency, and what I mean by that is physicians are now having to see more and more patients. And so we design templates and grids. Uh, you know, you come in, let's say, I'm going to take outpatient and inpatient. Outpatient, you coming in for your yearly exam. I know that you're going to have to do a, you know, CBC, a BMP, a lipid panel, et cetera. That's part of my initiate, you know, initial assessment. In the inpatient, I know that I'm going to need a CBC, a, a BMP, or actually a CMP, a troponin, an EKG. How does that, that standard lab panel, and I'm talking about labs, go with the terminology of the 2023 guidelines? Or does it even count if I just blanket everybody? So the outpatient setting is a little different because you called out a a routine physical exam. So there's actually CPT codes for routine physical exams where the labs kind of roll up into that. So in your example that you stated, outpatient really wouldn't apply. Okay. Um, but for inpatient, when you are getting credit for what you are doing, you ordered a CVC, so that's considered one unique test. You ordered a BMP, which is considered another unique separate tests. So right there, we have two. Then you add troponin, you added your troponin level, which is your third unique test. And then EKG, which would be classified as a unique, um, a unique test as well. So you would have four different data points under the 2023 data section of the, the medical decision-making grid. So what you're saying to me is that by, and I'm using the sarcastic, uh, Tracy, because in, when you come to an ED in the United States, I will guarantee you that those four data points to five data points, you know, CBC, BMP, troponin, uh, EKG, and chest x-ray are all going to show up. And so those are five unique, how does those five unique data points Look at leveling of billing. So remember with medical decision-making, back in our 1995, 1997 guidelines, we only got credit for one lab. So it didn't matter how many labs you ordered, you only got one point and that was it. So you could have ordered five or six different lab tests, but it still only counted for one. What in 2023 now, the guidelines will say a combination of any three of the following or a combination of three of the following or three plus of the following, and then an additional point. And so where this comes into play, whereas you only got credit in one, for one point in 1995-1997 guidelines, now you're actually getting credit for each of those tests that you order, as long as it's classified as a unique test source or a unique CPT code. Okay. So that could actually make the difference between a low, a moderate, or a high 
medical decision-making when it comes to the data points. It just all depends on how many tests and labs that you order, review. So we have these data points and you said, let's talk about physical exam. A pertinent, because this is actually real important because you know most physicians, we're tired of doing like, oh, we need 11 art review of systems. When we know and we're talking to the patient, hey, my stomach hurts, I'm nausea, I'm, you know, I have had, you know, vomiting for the last three days, going through and saying, how, you know, how's your mental status? How's this? How's that for review systems and checking those boxes? I'm using that. It, or pertinent physical exam. I'm not going to listen if I'm focusing on a patient who has gastroenteritis severe uh, with, you know, dehydration. I'm not going to, I'm going to focus on those physical exams. How does that focused physical exam tie into medical decision-making and E&M leveling? So one of the things um, that I think the reason why they are doing this is because there was a lot of note bloat, a lot mm -hmm. of note bloat. There was a lot of physical exam elements that really had nothing yeah. to do with why the patient was coming in. And so why they've kind of gone away from this targeted system is to say, okay, we know that there's going to be a, a, a physical or a, um, a problem pertinent or a medically appropriate history or exam taking, because you need to find out a little bit about why the patient is mm -hmm. presenting to you. You're going to want to examine the areas that the patient is complaining about, but really and truly because a lot of physicians spend the bulk of their time on the overall treatment plan, the care plan managing of the patient, that's where there's been this shift from let's check all these boxes to more, you examine what you need to. You're the one who knows what medically appropriate is. We're not going to dictate to you what is medically appropriate. We're just going to assume that medically appropriate means if a patient's coming in for a sore throat, you're going to examine the throat and potentially the respiratory system. Mm -hmm. Whereas the medical decision-making, say on that example, it gave you with a sore throat, you're going to order a throat culture. You're going to order a CBC just to see what the overall platelets are doing, what the overall sed rate is doing. Those tests, those data elements now classify as unique tests. And in that instance where I gave you the two, the two, um, data elements, the two data elements with the uh, CBC and the throat culture would make it a low category for the data elements alone. Now, remember, with your medical decision making, you still have to have two out of those three categories for either your diagnosis codes, your data elements, mm -hmm. or your medical decision making. But the shift is more so lining up with the clinical portion of what the of what the physician is actually doing to manage and treat that patient versus having all of these check boxes on the front end that we've seen in the past. Yeah, and that's actually for me that's a pretty I'm actually very happy about that because if the patient is very complex, I'm going to do a lot of work, I should get paid for that work. If the patient is not that complex, and I'm going through the rote check boxes just to get credit where credit needs to be. That takes a little bit more time. And you're right about note bloat. I mean, yeah. now with EMRs, 
if you look at notes, I mean, they're five, six, seven pages for not very complicated patients. Exactly. And it's a lot to go through. So that's unique test. There's another section in your data reviewed and analyzed portion of the medical decision making that has also um, been defined a little bit more and it is classified as unique source. And so in your data reviewed and analyzed, you'll see you'll see areas where it says independent review, independent interpretation of tests performed by another provider, discussion of tests and management with an external provider. And what they go on to classify is they say a unique source is defined as a physician or other qualified provider in a distinct group, different specialty or subspecialty. And that's really important because when we're talking about having conversations with with your peers, we're not talking about having conversations with one of your colleagues that are in your same specialty. We're talking about having more conversations with a distinct group or a group outside of your specialty, um, different specialists, or even somebody in your own group who has a subspecialty. An example would be like neurology, where yeah. you have a subspecialty in neurology, where you have your, um, oh, your neuroepileptologists. And so yeah, that's, that's really... Wrong. That really is important because we spend a lot of time talking to consultants and Absolutely. getting credit for that is really has been a has been an eyesore uh, in the past. But I spend a lot of my time talking to consultants about treatment plans and in collaboration. And so that that actually adds in a very element. Is there a key words that I would say on my documentation at this time to identify that to get credit for it? Well, you need to tell us who you're talking to and what their specialty is. If so you say, if you say, I am, I am reviewing medical records with Dr. Jones and cardiology. Perfect. So don't say, don't say cardiology following. You say, I've discussed with cardiology and this is our plan, not cardiology flying, follow, following. We're going to do this. Would that work or would when you, just you say the term, when you say the term following as an auditor educator, to me, I'm like, oh, they're fall cardiology is following it. Cardiology is doing everything. My doc isn't necessarily doing anything. And so if you are actually having discussions of tests and management with a different provider, if you are having discussions um, about the overall management of your physician with a unique source or a unique provider, you need to call that out specifically because we need to know that you're having those conversations so you can get appropriate credit. That's excellent. So th those are really good changes for 2023. It's just physicians need to know how to document that. And, and, the, thing, and the thing is, 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 you know, physicians have these electronic medical records that are there for them. There's some physicians that completely overuse an EMR and use it for anything and everything. A lot of copy paste functionality out there that providers love. And then there's some physicians that don't use the EMR to the fullest capacity. These are really easy fixes for you with adding you know, a smart phrase to say, I spoke with Dr. Bloop in whatever specialty 
about, and then you enter exactly what you had that discussion about. There's ways to make your EMR help you with some of these new unique terms to capitalize on those data points. Yep. And that's, I mean, not to plug us, but we're plugging us, is that's what we do. We d design, we analyze, we help design these smart phrases and templates along with, you know, kind of analyzing your personal, you know, population, how we can improve that. And I think that's 2023 is really interesting because it's evaluating what really the work is being done without note bloat, without doing busy work. And so I'm actually pretty excited about it. So absolutely. Okay. Now there's two additional terms that providers need to be aware of that are under your medical decision-making risk section. So remember three categories of your uh, medical decision-making table. First one is your diagnosis. Second one is those data elements and those analytics that we talked about. And the third section is the overall risk of the patient. So there's two new terminal, uh, terminology uh, pieces that come into play. You know, this was kind of introduced to the outpatient world back in 2021, but this is definitely new for emergency medicine and your inpatient setting. The first one is social determinants of health. And Dr. Hunley, if you have been, like I have, going to conferences the last couple of weeks, um, social determinants of health is a huge buzzword right now. Everybody's talking about it. It's like the new thing for 2023. Yeah, no, and, and, and back to that conversation, um, treatment plans and this medical decision-making is not every patient you can make the same medical decision-making depending on their socioeconomic class, depending on whether they can afford their medicines, depending on depending on their living places, whether they're homeless, living in a, in a nursing home or living at home, all those treatment plans vary. And so documenting that social determinant health, it actually reflects the time that you actually have to give toward those patients. And that's, that's exciting, but it's also very complex because the physicians actually can't cookie cutter it. You know, exactly. what, I mean by, what I mean by is uh, a diabetic patient that's homeless I can't give them insulin because they don't have a refrigerator. Okay. So I have to say homeless diabetic patient with you know, economic challenging, will start metformin and have to get a plan for that. And so that's actually important por portion of your documentation of it. Yeah. Well, and a lot of providers are not capitalizing on social determinants of health, which you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, years ago I worked at a large, um, homeless coalition. And our CEO used to tell everybody all the time, housing is healthcare. And at first I thought he was a little crazy. I'm like, what do you mean housing is healthcare? But when you start to think about it, if you've got a patient who needs to do a colonoscopy and they're homeless, they don't have the ability to do the prep like a normal patient would. Um, not having the basic resources is a little bit of a challenge. The other thing that was interesting in one of the sessions I was uh, listening to over the last couple of weeks was they were talking about the cultural differences. Um, you know, I have a group that I work with right now that has a large Haitian population that has come to the U.S. as refugees. And the physicians are working with this population, but there's cultural differences. 
they don't look at healthcare the same way that we do. So the amount of healthcare that they have received up to this point is very limited. Their yeah. ability to understand why you guys are ordering the tests that you're ordering and doing the things that you are ordering is limited because there is that cultural difference. Yep. And so this, this to me makes really great sense because so much of physicians are spending their time managing those social determinants of health versus actually treating the patient. That's exactly it. So, and so that's important. And then the complexity of the patient of the diagnosis and how complex it is, is also part of this, isn't it? For the last portion of your credit. So if you can't just give a diagnosis, you have to say the severity of it. Well, and I think, I think it's interesting, um, you know, speaking about social determinants of health, knowing that this is playing into your overall risk of the patient. There's three things that physicians should document with social determinants of health. First is what is the social determinant of health? What is causing them to not be able to do X, Y, and Z? The second thing is how is that social determinant of health impacting their health? You gave a perfect example with your homeless patient not having access to a fridge, therefore you couldn't do insulin, so you're doing metformin instead. And then third is if you are documenting social determinants of health, there are some uh, diagnosis codes now that reflect social determinants of health, that it is being strongly encouraged. It's not mandated yet, but there is strong encouragement for physicians to use those um, diagnosis codes to be able to link the overall risk of the patient with that social determinant of health if you are using that as part of your risks. Yep, that's exactly it, so. Then the last one that I wanted to talk about, and this has been something that I've been very passionate about talking to providers with outpatient guidelines, is monitoring for drug toxicity. There are so many drugs that physicians are using that, really can cause a lot of issues, kidney damage, liver damage, um, that they do have to monitor those medications for toxicity. And so what I think is really interesting is they have come out and clarified the guidelines around this a little bit more. And I'm going to read it to you, Dr. Hunley, and then get your reaction. It says monitoring for drug toxicity, a drug that requires monitoring is a therapeutic agent that has the potential to cause serious morbidity or death. Monitoring is for adverse effects and not therapeutic titration. Monitoring is typically done through laboratory or physiological tests or imaging. So I can think of about 100 to 150 drugs that you would use, not just in the hospital. In the hospital, I mean, even Lasix, you know, you got to manage for drug toxicity, amiodarone, beta blockers, hypertension medicines. It's it's something we naturally do. It's, um, it's something that we think about. The thing about it is, is uh, do we take the, you know, I hate to say it, do we document it in our, in our charts? No, we don't. Um, I mean, I look at the Lasix and go, I've given enough Lasix. Now his creatinine's gone up, his kidneys could be hurting. I need to do that. 
same thing. Actually, same thing with any therapeutic that we do is we monitor for its uh, benefit and everything we do has, has a cost to it. So I think it's more designing a process. If you, if you do the right thing of getting credit on monitoring for this toxicity and, and learning how to document back to the smart phrases, et cetera. So let me kind of put this into perspective for you. Social determinants of health risk is at a moderate level. When you are monitoring a patient for drug toxicity, that raises the overall risk of the patient to a high level. And so you mentioned Lasix. Um, because you are monitoring that Lasix on a more consistent basis, um, you know, for our clinicians that listen to this podcast, what are some conditions that Lasix would be used for for a um, for something outside of a therapeutic? Because I know I've heard where Lasix is given on more of a therapeutic for people who have edema. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, we give Lasix daily for edema, right? Yes. Uh, it's a therapeutic. All drugs are therapeutic. Uh, but you would have to monitor, like, is the Lasix, and then if I'm using Lasix in another drug, such as spirolactone, you have to monitor. And so what you would say, instead of saying Lasix, spirolactone, creatins this, potassium's this, you, I would probably document, you know, patient has hypertension with, uh, you know, congestive heart failure. Patient is on Lasix with spirolactone. We'll monitor for uh, increased creatinine and increased potassium. Now, if I put drug toxicity in there, I bet you that will make a bigger difference. Yes. I was just going to say, if you use the buzzwords drug toxicity, and then you told me what you're monitoring, but if you tell me how you're monitoring it, where you say, I will be doing weekly labs, or I will mm -hmm. be doing monthly labs. Then all of a sudden, that right there connects that you're actually monitoring this patient for drug toxicity. The medications that you're giving are a little bit higher, and it's not, not necessarily therapeutic titration that you're actually having to monitor to make sure there's no um, other organ damage. Yep. No, that's exactly it. And that's, that kind of manages the patient and you're telling them what you're doing. So 2023 guidelines to me mean don't note, note bloat your notes, have a focused patient problem list and diagnosis. Look into what your treating conditions are. And what I mean by that is, you know, your social determinants of health of how can I do a therapeutic on this patient, not just general, and then document the severity and what you're doing and, and with drug therapeutics, with consultants, et cetera. Is that what I'm hearing better? That is what you're hearing. So, so that's that, that it's, it's an exciting time. It's a confusing time, just like ICD 10 guidelines makes things more simple, but makes things more confusing in the initial because it's a paradigm shift of how we did things. Absolutely. So if you want any more tips and tricks on 2023 guidelines, make sure to watch our YouTube page um, or 
Follow us on LinkedIn and social media. We're always uploading additional cheat sheets to help with the 2023 guidelines. And, you know, this is a great example of what the provider partners do. We do this podcast, not just for uh, information, but to show you that we can really help your organization and not and and do it in a partnership way. We're not we're not here to hand you a cookie cutter and and send you on your way. We analyze, we look at your your unique environment and help you as partners. So, thank you very much for for watching. Thanks everyone. See you next Thursday. Bye.